Hey there, folks. Thank you for tuning in to E Pluribus Unum. I am your host, Emily. Today is Friday, and that means we are talking about the weekly Parsha, or Torah portion, read in synagogues across the world. It has been two weeks since we've talked about a Parsha, because last week, well, last week was Passover, and the week before was Passover? Maybe I just chose to talk about Passover an extra week. Anyway, it's been a while, and I'm excited to get back to it. This week's Parsha is Shemini, which means eight or eighth. And for a brief summary, as always, we turn to Chabad.org. On the eighth day, following the seven days of their inauguration, Aaron and his sons begin to officiate as Kohanim, priests. A fire issues forth from God to consume the offerings on the altar, and the divine presence comes to dwell in the sanctuary. Aaron's two elder sons, Nadav and Avihu, offer a strange fire before God, which he commanded them not, and die before God. Aaron is silent in face of his tragedy. Moses and Aaron subsequently disagree as to a point of law regarding the offerings, but Moses concedes to Aaron that Aaron is in the right. God commands the kosher laws, identifying the animal species permissible and forbidden for consumption. Land animals may be eaten only if they have split hooves and also chew their cud. Fish must have fins and scales. A list of non-kosher birds is given and a list of kosher insects, four types of locusts. Also in Shemini are some of the laws of ritual purity, including the purifying power of the mikvah, which is a pool of water meeting specified qualifications, and the wellspring. Thus, the people of Israel are enjoined to differentiate between the impure and the pure. And that is the end of the summary. So there's a lot in this week's Parsha. I want to talk specifically about the death of deaths of Nadav and Avihu, Aaron's elder sons. It says right in the Torah portion why they died. They offered a strange fire before God that God did not command. But there are also a lot of commentaries on what what else is going on. Because this is how we read Torah. There's the surface level, just what the text says, but there's always more. There are always other interpretations and other reflections on what the text says. So a lot of different ideas are given. Some people say that they were drunk. Some say that they did not consult Moshe and Aaron before doing their offering. Some that they were impatient to begin. Some that they were being haughty. There are all these different interpretations. Ultimately, they brought alien fire. It wasn't allowed. It says so right there. They brought something that they weren't supposed to do, and they were punished for it. And it might seem really harsh, and maybe it was. You could think of it like on the first day of school. On the first day of school, a teacher might be overly strict and punish a kid even for the smallest infraction just to set up what the rest of the school year is going to be like. So it could have been that. could have been God saying, hey, this tabernacle that I had you build, this is a big deal. So I'm setting a precedent right now that if you do something wrong, it's no small thing. Or it could be, again, just they did really the wrong thing, something that wasn't allowed. You're not supposed to bring an offering that God hasn't asked for or authorized. So they crossed the line. I mean, we're dealing with very holy stuff here, so we can't just be willy-nilly and making up our own choices about it. Again, there are so many different thoughts about what happened to Nadav and Avihu and why it happened, and was it too harsh? Was it exactly what they deserved? Who knows? There's no definitive answer. But there's one interpretation that I've always really liked, and that is that Nadav and Avihu were actually too holy. They were, neither of them had married, They didn't have kids. 
They were so focused on the spiritual aspect of their lives. They were too holy. Now, it might be an odd concept, one might think, for religion to call people too holy. The impression that a lot of people have of religious people, probably, is that they're continually striving for more and more holiness. And while this isn't totally untrue, in Judaism, our holiness is very much grounded in real life. It's grounded in day-to-day life. It's grounded in the world and how we actually work. Yes, there are many holy times. We have many holy objects. The Torah is a holy object. Tefillin are holy. A mezuzah, a prayer book. There are a lot of holy objects. We have a lot of holy times. Shabbat happens every week. There are a lot of holidays. We just had Passover. There's Shavuot, Sukkot, Yom Kippur. There are a lot of holy acts we do throughout the day. We make blessings before we eat and after we eat. We pray three times a day. So there's a lot of holiness throughout our days. But in Judaism, our goal is not to loftily live on some mountain dispensing wisdom and holy advice. We're supposed to live in this world and make the world around us holy. Not make ourselves holy, make the world and our community holy. And Nadavinavihu, they felt beyond that. They wanted just to focus on the spiritual. They wanted to offer offerings to God and pray and do whatever other holy spiritual things. But they didn't marry and they didn't have kids. And marrying and having children so that Judaism can continue to be taught, so that Torah can continue to be taught, and the world can become populated with good people following moral ethics that God dictates. That's what God wants from us. He wants us to live in the world and make it a dwelling place for him, not rise to his dwelling place. So I've always loved that teaching because because it just feels so much more attainable. Probably none of us are going to be that wise man who lives at the top of a mountain dispensing wisdom and holiness and floating as we sit cross-legged. But all of us can make small, consistent, small, good choices in our lives that make the world around us more holy. We can use the money that we make from work for charity. We can bake brownies and share them with our neighbors. We can use our skills as a mechanic to help someone whose car broke down. We can use our knowledge and our physical skills and abilities to help others to do justice and to act kindly, which is what God wants from us. And when we do those things, we are making the world a holier, godlier place, a place where God can dwell. And that is ultimately what he wants, is that we make this world a dwelling place for him by doing justice and acts of loving kindness. So that is the takeaway from this week's Parsha. It is a takeaway from this week's Parsha. Of course, there's so much more. It talks about kosher laws and ritual purity and just the differentiation between purity and impurity, which is not good and bad. It's pure and impure. It's a different thing. Anyway, there's a lot in this week's Parsha, but I particularly wanted to talk about that subject because it's something that each of us can apply in our daily lives. And it gives us a goal. Instead of something nebulous, not knowing exactly what God wants from us, or even how to attain it, gives us a goal. We're making the world a holier place, and how are we doing that? By actively living in it, but doing acts of kindness and justice. We can all do that very easily, and in fact, we can start it very easily by always being a little kinder than necessary. Thank you for listening. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for listening to E Pluribus Unum. 
Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating and a review. And please share the podcast with anyone you think would benefit from some common sense and thoughtfulness. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram at e pluribus unum podcast. You can also find me on locals at e pluribus unum podcast.locals.com. The intro and end music is Chopin's Etude, Opus 10, Number 1 in C major, known as the Waterfall Etude. <laughs>